everybody talks about information is power or knowledge is power, but it's actually knowledge in use is power. Mm. And so when you're like actually sharing that and allowing other people to use that knowledge, to use that information, that's where you get the multiplier effect. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. We kind of got started on the fly. I'm here with Guy Herbert. He is, as we were just discussing, the risk futurist from Atlassian. We actually worked together a little while ago. It's quite um, a while, isn't it? It is quite a while ago. And I had a particular sort of thought in mind of what, from our discussion a couple of weeks ago, there's, you know, the journey that Atlassian's been on with kind of socks and other things that I want to get to. But actually the conversation we just had then off camera around kind of vulnerability in the workplace, I thought was a really interesting one. And I, and I only just a couple of weeks ago was introduced to a book called the five dysfunctions of a team and really, really good book. I'm still working my way through it, but it basically talks through kind of a hierarchy of needs kind of structure of which the most important foundation of any high performing team is going to be trust. And his definition of trust was not an ability to predict someone's behavior. Like as in, you know, if I give guy this task he will complete it that's not that's not trust that's not i trust you to complete that's not it the trust is that i can go to you and say i fucked up i failed this this went wrong and you'll listen to me dispassionately and help me yeah right so actually trust is founded on vulnerability trust isn't founded on predictability yes right and and i just thought that was such an interesting conversation and then when you before we're talking about how do you get teams in Atlassian, which is considered to be such a high-performing organisation to operate, and you're talking about vulnerability, it just really resonated. So all that stuff that we are just talking about tell us. Again. <laughs> yeah, cool, okay. <laughs> and I think that that comes out of a, a couple of different things. And if you look at things like servant-led leadership, mm. leaders, it's, it's about how do I get the best out of my people, and I don't do that by having all the answers. And I think that by saying to the people in your team and and expressing that vulnerability as a leader to say, I'm going to hire smart people, I don't have all the answers, and sometimes I don't even know what the right question is, and then opening that up to that team. And that happens on lots of different levels. One is the work level of, I don't know the answer to that specific work question, or it might be something like, Okay, well, I don't know how that should work as a team. And so that could be the, you know, the building empathy with the team and going, actually, I just don't know. Or it could be something in your personal life. And so we find in Atlassian that people share things about their personal life, which in other organisations they would never share. And that is because they've got that level of vulnerability that they know it's going to be treated well mm. that's not a thing that you can just go okay now we're going yeah. to do that as we're going to do vulnerability yeah yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't work yeah. but i think at a team level it sort of does yeah. and particularly in agile organizations you tend to run smaller teams five to eight people you can form a connection with those people and you can get that sort of you do feel as though you know when you've got a sense of belonging in that team 
And so when people are actually connecting on a personal level, I mean, when they do that, then they open up and they're more likely to share those vulnerabilities. And it might be something like the leader going, oh, I'm, I'm snowed under. I, I can't do all the things that I need to do to be able to help you be successful. I need some help, people. Mm. And generally, in teams where people have worked together for more than sort of like a couple of minutes, they'll, they'll step in. Because mm. they want every... People emp generally empathize yeah. now there are psychopaths in the organization yeah. everywhere yeah. but and, and trying to get those people out of the organization is one of the challenges yeah. but if you have people in your team who have empathy and you do open up with that vulnerability people step in yeah. uh, I was uh, you know, my wife works for a different organization and she was struggling with one of these and it was stuff where she was just snowed under and she was really stressed and I said have you told anyone and she was like no, that's like a career-limiting move. Yeah. Why would I do yeah. that? Yeah. And and I said, well, share with your team. Share with your boss. You know, you've known this boss, yeah. you know, the, the person that she works with, she's known them for years. And I said, share that. And as soon as she shared it, two things. One, she sort of felt that weight like, go off her shoulders because she'd actually shared it with the team. Other people stepped in and the boss said, well, actually, I didn't realise that you were like that far under. Mm. And so they, they worked together. Mm. Now, the outcome was the right outcome. And I think that that's... So it actually builds that, that sense of the leader shows vulnerability and it means that other people in the team can then feel that they can show vulnerability. Mm because they, they, the overall that safety increases for everybody. It's really interesting because I think from the outside in, everyone looks at Atlassian as being kind of a high-tech yeah. business, right? So making the assumption that everything in relation to performance and progress and all that kind of thing must be technology-based. But yeah. it sounds like so much of it is human. Oh, you know, like in order to get technology and, and, and profitable outcomes, like a big part of that input is actually the human dimension, not the... It's, it, it is. We've recently been looking at some of those things and going, okay, well, when we talk to people, what do we talk to people about? And so when I, I go and talk to conferences, I go and talk to companies and it's like, what do I actually talk about? And it is, it's, it's effectively three things. One is the, it's the people things that we do. Uh, it's the practices. So what are the... What are the practices, the processes that we have in our organisation to help us be successful? And then it's the tools. Mm. Because you know, to, if, you, if you're trying to do it without tools, as soon as you try and scale, yeah, it just doesn't scale. Yeah. And you know, the thing that we, the, the example I often use is, if you've got a small team, post-it notes on the wall, fine. Yeah. But as soon as you now want to say, actually, we're going to have somebody work from home, yeah. What am I going to do? Send them a photo? Yeah. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. And so you need a tool to be able to so leverage that. Yeah. And, and so we, we say you need people, practices, and tools to be able to generate great outcomes. Mm. And I think that's where having those people is really important. Mm. And, and interesting that, that people is actually number one. Yeah. You know, like it starts from that. Yeah. Yeah. And then for us, we really, we really, we recognize that. And we're not perfect. Mm. So recently we've been talking about a particular thing within our organisation and, you know, we were an open company, so we, one of our values is open company, no VS. Mm. And so we put up a page, lots of information on it, and the comments started to come in. Mm. And some of them weren't, they weren't right. Yeah. Like, it, it, they didn't feel like us. 
And so we said, that's not us. How do we tell people? And we actually called it out by one of our organisations, Town Halls, to mm. say, like this, our, our culture traditionally has said that this is okay, but this is, that worked when we were a thousand people. Mm. It doesn't work when we're 4,000 people. No. And so some of those things have to change over time. Yeah. And having people recognise that when you do a drive-by comment on a page, potentially doesn't have value. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, somebody's on the other end of that yeah, comment. Yeah, can hear it, yeah. And it, like, it just doesn't resonate. Yeah. And it's not how we want to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so making those, recognising those with things within the organisation and saying, no, we're going to change that. Mm. We're going to try and be better. Mm. Mm. So one of the things, so that was a very good diversion. I, I really enjoyed that because it wasn't where I was going to start, right? But because of the conversation we had before, we press play or record, I thought it was really useful to have that conversation. The bit that I was going to talk to you about, which yeah. is what we reflected on a couple of weeks ago, was, you know, you spoke a bit about some of the, I guess, kind of compliance-related processes and approvals and hurdles that you've taken the organisation through over the last yeah. couple of years. And one of the things that really stood out to me is the fact that, again, outside in, Atlassian is probably the poster child for agility and no rules and like as few shackles as possible and yeah. just go and move and get it done, right? So I imagine in that environment then being able to get that environment not only certified under some of these protocols, but then getting the teams to operate in that way yeah. would have been quite a challenge. Yeah. So talk us through uh, how, how about I just do a little bit of the history. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. so I joined at last in six years ago mm-hmm. and we didn't have any compliance obligations at the time. So it was it was pretty nice as a compliance person. Mm-hmm. And but we sort of recognised that the first one we were going to go through would be socks. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so Sarbanes Oxley we were going to uh, list on a US exchange. And for a lot of organisations, that's that really slows them down because it's about capturing all your processes. And the and the the thing about SOX is, how do I know that all of the processes are going to work, and that I can rely on them? The organisation can rely on them so that I know my financial statements are right. Mm. And what that often ends up is lots of process, lots of documentation of process, lots of controls and lots of review and sign-off. I think, you know, not only when it was implemented, um, but also as it was iterated, that whole framework has just become known as being massively laborious yeah. and also having tentacles far beyond its mandate, yeah. right? So, so that's yeah, the kind of, for anyone listening, right. that's the kind of situation you're facing, right? Yeah. And, and for us, we looked at, uh, okay, so... How can we limit this? How can we limit how much this impacts us? And a lot of SaaS companies, so software as a service companies, they don't have their products under SOX control. Mm. And for us, we said, well, we have a viral sales model, so we want people to be able to add more Jira users in Jira. Mm. But to add more Jira users is a revenue implication, licensing, etc. so therefore it's part of SOX. Mm. And so we said that our products in the cloud will be under SOX control. Mm. And that's really rare. So this was, you're taking something where you're trying to be really agile with your products because you want to iterate, you want to get them in the hands of customers. And you're also saying, now I'm going to lock it down for SOX compliance. And so- Which is almost like banking regulation, right? It's like Atlassian being a regulated 
bank yeah. from a process yeah. lens, right? Yeah, like and it is. And so when I came in, I was looking at, okay, well, how do we, how do we keep speed up and still meet compliance? And so I really had to think about, all right, what's the best way we can do these controls? And so I actually went out to the teams mm. and said, well, how do you build quality? And the terms were all like, well, we do we do peer review and we make sure that we code right. And then we do build testing to make sure that what we've built does what it's meant to do. And so I said, all right, do you enforce these? Is this something that we can rely on? They said, well, no, it's a social contract. Mm. So it's the sort of thing like, it's just what we do. Mm. But you can't just say that to the auditors, that's just what we do. They'll look for how do I know that's what you do? I need proof, I need evidence, I need consistency. And so what we did was we actually system enforced it. But before doing that, I went out to the teams and I said, if I system enforced it, what would be the implication on you? And for the teams, they were like, there is no implication because it's, if, if we're not doing it, we should be doing it. Mm. And for the teams that were already doing it, I was like, it's already what we do. Mm. So there wasn't a, wasn't a change. To get that driven through the organisation actually wasn't that hard. And I think that part of it was the fact that the, the teams saw it as something that they already did or should be doing. They saw it as part of the maturing of the organisation as well. Yeah. And, and saying, okay, some of the things that we did when we were not a company that you really needed to rely on, Jira was sort of like, yeah, it's helpful. It's a helpful tool. Yeah, it's yeah. a helpful tool. Yeah, it's not business critical at that point. But, but now we're, we're finding our customers, it's one of the most mm. business critical tools that they've got. Mm. Because, and, and we sort of talked to them about some of the other applications that they might use, and they're going, well, look, I use a SAS general ledger product. If my general ledger is not up you know, today, I'll enter the journals tomorrow. Mm. But if Jira's not up today, I've got whole teams That's that can't work. work. Yeah. And it's not just it's not just development teams or those sort of things. Like people are using Jira for all business processes. And so that's that's one of the things that really has become mission critical for organizations. And so they're going, we need to know that it works all the time. Mm. And so whether it's socks or whether it's reliability or availability or integrity or any of those sort of things. It's a need anyway. It's, it's just a need. Yeah. How long had you been there when you first had to have kind of one of those first conversations where you're going into one of the teams and saying, right, we're going to go through this compliance process. I need to talk to you about it. Like six months. Yeah, right. So you said that actually getting it through the teams was relatively easy. Yeah. Like inherently though, if I think about that challenge, having been in similar roles, not the same role, but having been kind of that risk person that's yep. coming into an operating business and asking questions, were the barriers ever up or do you think that that was something that was like a little bit unique about the culture that was already there where the barriers didn't go up? Here's the new guy, here's the risk guy, he's going to come and put some shackles on us. Like, was no, there any of that? or There was very little of that. Yeah. I think that was one of the things. It's an organisation where, look, we're engineering led, mm. uh, so we tend to be, I don't focus on debating whether it's a problem or not. Mm. As soon as we recognize it's a problem mm. or I need to fix this, they very quickly move, move into, into what's the solution? How do I fix this? Yes, yeah. how do I fix okay. it? Yeah. And so being able to say, well, I could come in and I can do 
change approval boards mm. Mm. and that means that we'll be doing weekly or monthly or quarterly releases or we could do peer review and green build and then we could do a pipeline that basically just ships it to production. Which one is Which one? Yeah, <laughs> you choose. Yeah, you choose. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that for us was very a, a very easy conversation. But a solutions-focused culture basically yes. is, is, is quite a productive culture to be in and obviously yeah. one that, that enabled some of that conversation. Yeah. And so, so what about then, like, you've gone through the process of kind of understanding where you think it needs to be, speaking to the people in the team, like, how do you then, like, again, I'm going to go with a, a, an assumption of someone walking in, right? So again, if I put myself in the shoes of an auditor, yeah. my lens is going to be, who are these Atlassian guys? What the hell would they know about socks? Because they're not a big bank and actually they're tech guys, so they're going to be really agile and difficult to deal with, right? Yeah. So what about the first meeting with the socks auditor? So, the, and the, so <laughs> did they come in with a with a presumption that you were going to be difficult and then no, turn them around? We, we had financial auditors. Yeah. Uh, and so we were, you know, we were a private yeah. company, so we had financial auditors, but we were decent size. And yeah. so it was audited out of... San Francisco, mm. and so they already had sort of a tech background. Yeah, okay. So but, they were a little bit up the curve. Yeah, not but, far. Right? <laughs> right, okay. So, so when I when we first thought about this, and um, we said, okay, this is the way we'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I recognised that this was something that we were going to have to sell, mm. and so we didn't go in with this conversation with the auditors about this is our control environment mm. and everything's you know this is yeah. how it works it was this is why this control solves this problem mm. this is why it manages the risk mm. this is why you can trust it mm. and so we didn't we really saw it as a sales pitch yeah, yeah. and rather it, than immediately a technical discussion around key control and yes blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was very much sales driven and it was focused on i'm not trying trying to convince you in one meeting mm. Mm. I, I recognised that this was going to be multiple sessions and where we would talk about the frame mm. that it was in, the controls that that frame, were, that were in that frame. We talked about the culture that goes around that to be able to say, and this is why this we is believe why confident that, yeah. that it's going to work. And then we said, what we want you to do is challenge it. Yeah. And they wheeled out all the challenges. Yeah. And then, but we'd already thought about what all those challenges were going to be. Yeah. So we'd already pre-thought, okay, what are all the things that can go wrong in this process? Where could it break? How could you get around it? All of that thinking had been done. Which, which almost, again, is a bit like looking at objections in the sales process. It's, it's interesting. Like, we were like, I was having a conversation with Mick just the other day around sales and the fact that I think as an inherent skill, it's actually pervasively required across almost anything that you might do. And it gets a, sometimes gets a bad rap yeah. You know, like to develop some sales skills, people immediately think, oh, that's just the sales guy that needs yeah. that. But actually selling as a concept is something that, I mean, you'd never expect the first response to a question of, you know, how did you approach your first meeting with the SOX auditors was, well, I went in and did some sales. It's <laughs> like, you're not really yeah. expecting that to be, yeah. but you're right. Like ultimately you're trying to get them comfortable 
with a pitch that you're delivering, yeah. and that's that's how you get them off the yeah. journey. We we jokingly refer that you know I, I I worry sometimes that I can convince pretty much anybody of anything, <laughs> and so I have a team of people that I work with. I go you know make sure I haven't gone too far. Yeah, you know. I'm, Talk about it, you know, use the power for good. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes, you know, I... Because I... with great power. Yes, with <laughs> great responsibility. And so being able to go to the auditors and going, this is this is something we've thought about. We yeah. have thought about how you could get around this process yeah. and we've made sure that you can't mm. so that we know that you can rely on it. And these are the things that we do that wraps around that to make sure that if something does go wrong, we're going to know. Mm. And... When we talk to the, and I sort of go, this was all my idea, but the start was my idea. And I think that's one of the things where, you know, the organisation that I'm in, when I took the idea to the build engineering team, they didn't go, oh, that's going to be a problem. Mm. They said, actually, if we take that green build component Mm. and we encrypt it, then the rest of the pipeline gets really efficient mm. because now I can say production only runs signed artifacts, and so we actually take out a whole heap of oil. Or check lines away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I can now store the artifact anywhere, and I don't care about logical access around that. Mm. And so life so just becomes easier. So, so the interesting point there, from a cultural perspective, and also I guess from a whether you call it a safety or or even back to the vulnerability point, is that you're in an environment where you feel like you can bring part of an idea and because i think quite often people get in environments where they feel like don't bring me an idea unless you've got the whole idea yeah and and that's really constraining because then people aren't willing to kind of come up with parts of ideas whereas if you know that you can like throw part of an idea into an equation and the other people will actually build on it not shoot down the fact that it's only part of an idea yeah then more parts of ideas will probably come out. That's that's a really good point because one of the things we talk about is the future of work mm. and the future of work is open. Mm. And that is where you share ideas, you share information. You know, everybody talks about information is power or knowledge is power, but it's actually knowledge in use is power. Mm. And so when you're like actually sharing that and allowing other people to use that knowledge, to use that information, that's where you get the multiplier effect that we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when we see, when, you know, the, one of the things we talk about is like, okay, if I, if I work in a closed organisation, I have previously worked in closed organisations, yes. you tend to have an, you, you'll have an idea, but you won't share it. Yeah. You'll polish it for a while and make sure it's, it's all okay. You might share it with one or two people, but you'll want their feedback to come directly back to you, yeah. not sort of talking in amongst themselves and like, okay, come back to me. And I incorporate that into the idea and I polish my idea and then I release it into the wild. Yeah. And at that point, you really invested in your idea. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so what happens to the feedback that yeah. somebody says? And you're in actually, protection mode. No, yes. no, I've checked it. Yeah. You've just criticised my baby. Yeah, yeah. And and so if you take that approach, then it, you tend to end up with really like closed ideas. Yeah. Whereas if you go, okay, oh, I've got an idea. I'll stick it on a page. Yeah. And then and put it out there and go, oh, I want your feedback. Yeah. So if somebody gives criticises your idea. It's well, funny, you know, I've spent a half a day on this, like, let's work on it together. Yeah. And if I share it with everybody, if somebody gives me feedback and it makes it a better idea, then everybody's working off the better idea, yeah. not the original idea. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things where we, where we look at 
that's where the tools become important mm. because the tools allow you to share more. Mm. Whereas yes. you, know, you sort of think about the way we've traditionally written for things like an intranet, mm. you write it in a closed, you know, like a Word document or yeah. something like that, it's closed. Yeah. And then I'll iterate on that closed document, and then I'll email it to people. Yeah. Closed documents. Yeah. It's, it tends not to be collaborative at all. Yeah. And you know, we've Google's tried to fix that by going, oh, well, we'll create Google Docs and yeah. we'll let other people mm. collaborate. But it still tends to be sort of email driven. Yes. And so what we do is we say, no. So we've got Confluence, yeah. and we just go, it's out there on the page. Yeah. It's unrestricted. Yeah. Everybody gets to. To see it yeah. and comment on it. Yeah. That's where it comes back to the practices about, you know, when, and one of the values we've got, so we have five core values, but we have a, a sixth unofficial value <laughs> called seek first to understand. Yes. And that is, nice. and that's really important because if you put an idea out there and people comment the way that some people comment, yes. it tends to shut down ideas. Yeah. And so by saying, actually, we want you to seek first to understand, yeah. you don't go, what the, what yeah. are you thinking? Yeah. You Start go, with some questions. So, help me so understand. Help me understand. Why, why, why did you come to that it? conclusion? What's the background on this? Yeah. And then you start to get, you get empathy and you get understanding and then you get more ideas. Yeah. And if you do that, then people iterate on those ideas and you actually get up a better, better outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much better outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been with the team, been through meeting number one and probably a whole bunch of other meetings with auditors. Yeah. You get to the point where you actually get a pass mark on actually yeah. compliance. Yeah. How does that that then roll out? Because I know that with SOX, it's been through various iterations. It's had kind of upgrades. So, so our auditors, our auditors so how, how does this process, it, at the end of the sales process, yeah. they were like, this is the future. Yeah. This is where everybody's going to end up. Mm. I was like, yeah, mm. we know that. Yeah. And it was like, it was, but it was good to hear that yeah. from them that they can see that this was actually a good control. Yeah. This was going to give them the right outcome. Mm. But we'd already, we'd already done it in the environment. Mm. So it wasn't a case of now we needed to go and roll it out to the teams. Because it was what they were already doing. Yeah, and all right. you're doing is opening up what they were already doing to the auditors so they yeah. can check they're doing what they said they were going to do. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. And so you've been through a couple of audits now. Yes, yes. So if anybody's been through the SOX like process and trying to, so we IPO'd and we went from effectively no controls to full SOX controls in about a nine month period, yeah. which is which like, is like it's, ridiculous. It's unbelievably fast and we had no issues. Wow. Now, I mean, we had control efficiencies, but yeah. they were minor. Yeah. Like, there was nothing. Yeah. And that's, like, it's almost unheard of. Yeah. You know, we, we talked to other organisations and they're like, in nine months? Yeah. And no significant deficiencies, no material weaknesses, nothing like that. Yep. Yeah. And it was because, I think two things. One is that people look for solutions, so they try to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that because we're we're open company, we shared all of the information about the IPO internally. Right. Now that requires a level of trust that most yeah. organisations would really struggle with. Yeah. And so everybody in the organisation had the full IPO documents, so two packs this thick, mm. and we were all insiders. Mm. 
And so you're trusting everybody in the organization that they're going to you know, handle the information with care, that they're not going to tell their friends about stuff that mm. they shouldn't be telling their friends about. They're going to respect that. And we did. Mm. How's the culture ended up in that spot? Because there must be heaps of cultures that when they're three people big, have that culture and aspire to maintain that culture. And then they get to a hundred people and they kind of have a few kind of, kind of hits and misses around maintaining it. But to get to thousands of people and still, I imagine that obviously there's kind of thin ends of the tail yeah, on that. Yeah. But what is it? Look, I'd, you, I'd, I'd, really, do I'd, I'd really start to say, you know, it's Mike and Scott. Yeah, it's okay. the two co-founders. Yeah. And they really have this sense of humility. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think about uh, Mike has done a TEDx talk mm-hmm. about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And he has imposter syndrome. And he talks yeah. about, you know, the fact that he just feels as though somebody's going to Tap him on the shoulder one day, <laughs> bust him. You but the fact that you, you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. and his response was, "It'd be fair cop." Yeah, and and I think that by recognizing that they don't know everything, mm. that they've gone actually, we'll hire people who do know, mm. and then we'll listen to them. Mm. And I think that that's meant that you know they've they've had to trust people that other people are actually going to know the answers. And they've had to display that vulnerability that we talked about earlier. Mm. They're going to have to display that themselves. Mm. And they do. And what does it look like when they either come to the team or, you know, wake up on a Monday morning having reflected on it over the weekend So you know what, here's the next new thing we're going to do. And they come in and they look like they're open about it and they have the discussion. There's, there's some dissent or some question around whether or not it's exactly the right thing. What does it look like when they actually say, you know what, I know you guys are uncomfortable, but my gut's telling me this is where to go and we're going to go, do you know what I mean? They're really open about stuff and so they they do, they bring in other people. Yeah. So they bring people into those sessions yeah. and they say, you know, this, this is where I believe we should go, yeah. but they listen to people. Yeah. Like it's not, we're going here and I don't care about don't what tell anybody me. else yeah. says. But they might still listen, take that on board, still move ahead, yes. and then say, I've, I've heard you, yep. got that in my mind. But this so, is, so we talk about, you know, everybody talks about diversity, mm. but what you need to have in a meeting is you need to have cognitive diversity. Yeah. And so it's that different difference of opinion. Mm. And there's a couple of things that we do. We talk about respectful dissent. Mm. Yeah. And, and so being yeah. able to say, no, I disagree with yeah. what you're putting forward. But at the end of it, you agree that you're all going to go forward with yeah. whatever has been agreed. I remember Intel had this thing about something like disagree and commit or something yes. like that. Yeah. Where you kind and, of and that's like, the idea. It's okay, we disagree on this, but actually this is what we're heading down. Yeah. So even though you've got a different view, we're still on the same boat. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I jokingly referred to it, you're either on the bus or you're under the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and the organisation's not really like, you know, we're going to push you under the bus. Yeah. But... You know, if you can, if you're going to be with it, then commit. Yeah, and and be part of that time. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that can happen in meetings is you can say yes, I want cognitive diversity. Yes, we're going to have respectful dissent, but if you don't run inclusive meetings, then if you don't listen to yeah, have to actually behave that way. You actually have to listen. Yeah, and so we have in our you know our team playbook, we have the inclusive meetings play, yeah. and it was developed by our grads because. They sort of felt like yeah, they weren't being heard, yeah, okay. <laughs> and 
And, and what does that what does that feel like? How, what does it look like? That like, like it, it basically is. Like, what is it, you know, and how does it actually structure out? It it works by saying, okay, if you want people to in, to be involved in a meeting, you need to tell them what the meeting's about. Mm. Like you need to have an agenda for your meeting. You need to communicate that out to people to say this is what we're going to be talking. So about. So they turn up ready. Yes. Yeah. And and then you need to do some of the practices in that meeting. It's like, okay, if somebody's just hogging the line, like, tell them to shut up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, everyone needs to be comfortable to hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so we, we, have, we have rubber chickens in meeting rooms. And so somebody gets to squawk the chicken <laughs> and, and say, no, it's, you've been talking too long. Yeah. And if somebody constantly interrupts other people, then we call it out and yeah. we say, no, I want to hear from that person who you've interrupted. They haven't finished. Yeah. And things like, you know, you get into meetings and it's often, you know, gender, mm-hmm. you know, around that, where a, a woman will put forward an idea and a man will then come and sort of go, say exactly the same thing. Mm. And everybody go, oh, that's great, Dave. Yeah. So it's, yeah. No. Yeah. What we need, and so part of it is attributing things to the people that actually put them forward. Yeah. And so you're saying that's a great idea instead yeah. of listening to the next person yeah. who says exactly the same damn thing. Yeah. And then reward them. Yeah. And and so there's a whole bunch of practices that we do, and these aren't these aren't like our secret sauce. Yeah. This is the way that we see teams being more successful. Yeah. And so we share that. Well, it's interesting, right? Because part of what you're trying to do internally is part of your mission externally, yeah. right? Yeah. In terms of yeah. team performance and getting teams to perform in the right yeah. way. And interestingly, you're kind of founded on, in your paradigm, the tools yeah. part of it. But you actually have a lot of value to give as an organisation in relation to the practices and the yeah. people, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think and that is that something that, that you you can feel like the organisation is trying to do more of? Oh my gosh, yes. Trying to do so more of saying, look, it's not just Jira or Trello or whatever else. Let's actually help you talk about how you as a team work together. Yeah. And so we, like, Atlassian.com forward slash team playbook. Yeah, okay. And, and know, that, if, that, the if that doesn't, like, you know, if you can't yeah, find a link, okay. Google search team playbook and Atlassian. Yeah. And... It has all of our plays, yeah, okay. like all of the things that we do, and then there isn't a internal version and external yeah, yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. There's just one version, what you do, and it's yeah. what we do. And it's all low tech. It's not like you need to use our tools to use the team playbook. Yep, yep. It's just yeah. This, how you this is how this yeah. is how the things that worked for us. Yeah. And then what we've found is that we've shared that, and other organisations have given us feedback that hey, that works for that us worked. too. Yeah. And it's it's really helpful and. I think one of the people sort of go, yeah, but how am I going to you know, use the team playbook? There's a health check, mm. and oh, so, right, yeah. so that's the easiest way to start using the playbook. Yes, yeah. run a health check on your team, yeah. and it'll highlight the things that are going well or not going well. It's really, really easy. Yeah. Eight things, um, definitions, uh, thumbs up, thumbs sideways, yeah. thumbs down, yeah. and if you run that, and then the plays are there for the things that you find. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and it's and that's about the practices. Yeah, it's not about tools or something. Yeah, it's about the practice that we're doing. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting this conversation. So when I when I was thinking about this conversation this morning, I, I was thinking we were going to head down a particular path, 
And, and we've covered off some of that, which I think has been useful, but interestingly, the stuff that I wasn't anticipating has, has been the real nuggets of gold, right? Like, and, and, you know, if I think about, you know, even something as simple as kind of putting this podcast online and you put a title on it or whatever, like, you know, if you ever go into a discussion with someone that's um, from a technical background talking about in a, in a compliance and risk kind of role, in a technology business, like it's easy to expect that you're going to be talking about those things yeah. and not about people. Yeah. So I think it's really refreshing to then have the conversation. And even as we went through that conversation and we were talking about kind of various aspects of getting through that process, it's really that people bit that keeps coming back and yeah. back. Like, yeah. and how do you get the right environment and how do you get vulnerability and how do you get courage and how do you get teamwork? And, yeah. and I, I think that that's, um, there's some huge lessons in there and there's a lot of concern at the moment about robots and AI and machine learning and all this kind of stuff. And I, I was having a discussion with someone before and I think I'm developing this, this idea that the best defense against that is actually to be more human, yes. you know, like, like it's not a race, like, They've already won. Oh, right? yeah. So, yeah. so if you want consistency, <laughs> yeah. put in the machine. Correct, right? So actually the way to to not compete against it but actually benefit it is to become more human and all yeah. those things that we're talking about yeah. today. I'll, I'll sort of step back a bit to the how we rolled out some of these controls yeah. because if you sort of look at a lot of the compliance obligations that we have, you know, and, and we started with SOX, but then we had SOC 2 and we've got European customers, so we've got GDPR, and to mm. prove that we do ISO certifications. So you end up with this multiple compliance obligations and there's lots of them. But the people who are actually out doing real work, yeah. they really need it simplified for them. Mm. And so if I go out and say, all right, these are the things I need you to do for SOX and these are the things I need you to do for mm. SOC 2 and, and build it up like that, it doesn't help. So what we did internally was we said, all right, let's map these to a set of control objectives mm. and we created those. And in most organisations, you would then send out those in an email. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, just think about yeah. every other yeah. organisation. Yeah. Go and do that. Yeah. Go yeah. and do this. Yeah. And as I said, the people are busy. Yeah. Like the people on the other end of that email, they're busy. And risk and compliance is not the thing they wake up thinking about how am I going to do this today. And the language that we use in risk and compliance tends to, it's, it's not the same as what they talk about. So what we did was we took those control objectives and we actually went out and we sat with the teams mm. and we said, okay, so how do you do this? Mm. And we could tell by the blank looks on their face that they had no idea what we were talking about. Mm. And so we rephrased the and question. And you did the translation instead of uh, requiring yes. them to do it. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And when we did that, they would talk about, we'd talk about quality mm. and we'd talk about consistency and we'd talk about all the things that, you know, particularly around change management, how do you get the right outcomes? And for them, they were like, okay, well, we do all these things. And we then just said, okay, let's just capture that. Yeah. And that became our yeah, control. Keep doing what we're doing. We'll make sure that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then when we went, so we did that for SOX and then we went to SOC 2, it was mm. like, actually, 80% of this is the same. Mm. There's only a 20% uplift. So we created, so we, we did the mapping behind the scenes and then we took that 20% out to the teams and we said, all right, so how do you do this? And they went, well, these are the things that we do. So, you know, and what backup was one of the things and it was like, okay, well, how do you, you know, if something goes wrong, how do you restore the information? And we're like, oh, well, we have it over here and we keep it in this environment and this environment. And whereas previously, it'd be sort of like, okay, show me your backup tapes. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, don't backup backup we don't have backup tapes yeah. anymore. And what it was was, you know, so one of these environments, like, it's replicated to three different locations around the globe. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. So what happens if one of those, like, disappears? Well, we'll just replicate it back. Mm. I'm like, okay. Done. Mm. It's so easy. Mm. And, and I, but I think that's the sort of thing where risk and compliance people tend to sort of want to hide in the background. Yeah. Instead of going out. And we also like to show that we're adding value. And so we don't like to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, mm. Whereas by going out and saying, Tell oh, me what you do. Yeah, I don't tell know. me what you do. You know, how do you meet this obligation? What's the things you do? And then going and, and working with the teams to come up with the right answer really helped us as an organisation. So by doing that, two things came out. One, I was able to explain what I was talking about. Yeah. And they were able to understand. And I could tell when they didn't understand. Yeah. And the second one was that I got to learn what they did. Mm. And then as we went across the organisation, we'd hit other teams and they're like, we got nothing. Mm. And it'd be like, well, this team over here does this. And they go, I think that'd work for us. And then I'd say, well, let's talk to them and we'd get this team to talk to that team instead of trying to go through me yeah, yeah. or go through somebody in the risk and compliance team. Yeah. We just got them in the room together and said, we're all trying to get the same thing. You guys do something that I think is really cool. Can you explain it to these guys? Again, like back to people. Yes. Yeah. And it is about forming those connections. Yeah. And, and I think so. I think a lot of risk people struggle with that because they they just don't feel as though they can just yeah, get out there and yeah, 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 absolutely. That's no, awesome. So I'm conscious of time, everyone's time, including most importantly yours. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's right. And thanks for well, allowing Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, thanks for allowing me to go, to go in various directions um, with where we thought we were going to go yeah. and where we ended up. But I really appreciate your time and there was like heaps of value in there for not only people that are kind of running businesses or people in the tech space that know Atlassian well, but also people in risk kind of everywhere who want to think about different ways in which to approach that role. So I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Cheers. Thanks.